It was in the summertime. I was sleeping in my bed, part of a youth program, and I was in a room with a whole bunch of other teenage guys who we were there for this program called Youth for Jesus. And in the middle of the night, or it was probably actually partway into the night before it had gotten too far along, apparently I sat up in my bed and yelled at the top of my lungs, No! Not yet! I'm not prepared! <laughs> and then I laid back down and went back to sleep. The next morning, people were asking me, what happened last night? Were you okay? Are you all right? And I had no memory of this. But they thought, surely I was having a dream about the second coming of Jesus. And I was saying, don't come yet, Lord. I'm not ready. I think probably closer to the truth was, is that summer I was doing some health presentations along with our evangelist who was doing prophecy seminars. And probably I was feeling in my dream that I wasn't ready for the health lecture. But, you know, as we approach the topic of the second coming of Jesus, I think this is a very real fear that many people have. And I, and I can remember as a kid having a dream where Jesus came in the clouds of the sky, and in my heart, I felt unprepared, and instead of being excited to see Jesus, I was scared. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you know people who have felt that way. Today, we're talking about what Jesus taught, continuing this series on the teachings of Jesus. As you requested to know the foundational principles and teachings of our church, and we're doing it really simply by just looking at what Jesus taught and lived in the Gospels, although you can certainly see these things from the broader expanse of Scripture. But let's pray one more time as we get into today's topic on the return of Jesus. Dear Father, we don't want to be scared when you return. We don't want to um, even be scared now as we think about the return of Jesus. We want to look forward to it. So please teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open up your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 3. When we're looking at what Jesus taught about the return, one of the most fundamental principles comes from John chapter 14 and verse 1 through 3. And I love this verse for many reasons, and I think you'll see why. It actually ties into our special music that we had. When we're afraid, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust in God. John 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in in me. So before he even says anything about coming back, he says it in the context of don't be afraid. Trust me. Trust me. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Trust me. And last week we saw Jesus himself is God. Verse 2 In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Okay, so where did Jesus say he was going? His Father's house. Now, where was God the Father when Jesus was praying those words on earth? In heaven, wherever heaven is. God the Father was somewhere else, a long ways away. In heaven. And Jesus says, I'm going where? 
I'm going there to prepare a place for all of us, right? A mansion, a room, whatever the case might be. He's going there to prepare a place. And he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That where I am, there you may be also. So the fundamental thing that we learn, first of all, about the return of Jesus is, number one, he promised he's coming back, but he's coming back to take us to be with him. There are some people who teach that Jesus, when he returns, he's coming here to the earth, and that starts like a thousand years of peace here on this earth. Well, where did Jesus say he was going? Heaven. He's going to heaven, and he's coming to get us, to take us to be with him, that where he may be in that spot where those rooms, those mansions are being prepared, that's where we're going. So, number one, he's coming back, but it's just to, to pick us up. Now, as you'll know from further study of the Bible, eventually we're going to come back to this earth. And Jesus alludes to this, Matthew chapter 5, he said, the meek shall inherit the what? The earth. He didn't say the meek shall inherit heaven, you know, trillions of miles away, or the meek shall inherit a different earth. He said the meek will inherit the earth. And that's true. And, and this gets beyond the scope of our study for today, but at a later time, after a thousand years in heaven, we get to come back to the earth. But point number one, he's coming back to pick us up. Point number two, we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. We don't know exactly, but let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're not going to be going through the signs today. If you want to know more about the signs, you can pick up a CD from our prophecy seminar. We went through a lot of prophecies and a lot of signs about the time of the end, and hopefully this week I'll be able to put them online as well. But Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. It says, But nobody knows the day or the hour except for Seventh-day Adventists. But not even... No? Oh. Now I was reading from the clear word. <laughs> I like the clear word. It's a good... It's a paraphrase. Not an actual translation. By the way... So, if you don't know, there's a, a paraphrase of the Bible that was written by an Adventist. It was just to help his daughter better understand the Bible. That was his goal, basically. And then it turned into something that he published. And it's wonderful. I like reading it. It's cool. But you've got to understand, it's not a translation. It's just his own paraphrase. So, I was having a Bible study with a lady one time. And we were going through Daniel chapter 8, looking at the judgment in verse 14, which says, For 2,300 days then the sanctuary will be cleansed. That's what it says approximately in most translations. One of the young people who was with me, I said, hey, David, why don't you read this from, you know, I didn't realize what Bible he had. So he opens up his Bible and he reads, after 2,300 symbolic days, which represent 2,300 literal years, Jesus will enter into the most holy place and begin his final work of cleansing, of which the earthly day of atonement was a type. And the lady was like, that, that's not what's in my Bible. <laughs> and so I say, hey, well, why don't you read it from your Bible? Let's, let's see what it says there. So you have to be careful 
that you understand the difference between a paraphrase and a translation. Uh, and I think that the, the paraphrase of that verse is a good one. Um, in any case, so it says, back off of that sidetrack, how many people know the day or the hour? No Nobody. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, some people look at this and they say, well, wait, it says not even the Son. Does Jesus know the time of his return? At least when he spoke these words, no. Now, there are two ways of looking at this, and you'll find that different scholars like, like Martin Luther, who led the Protestant Reformation, he thought that Jesus didn't know and, and won't know, is my understanding. John Calvin, a great reformer also, said, no, Jesus didn't know then, but he certainly knows now. So you can look at it two different ways. Uh, when Christ came to this earth, he put aside some of his all-knowingness, his omniscience, and he kind of put it aside to some extent, and he relied upon what the Father gave him. Um, like we. We don't have all knowledge, but we rely upon what the Father gives us. It's my personal belief that when Christ went back to heaven, that he, you know, I don't think that he's in heaven saying, okay, uh, do I get to go now? No, you're going to have to wait. Wait until when? Well, I can't tell you. Why can't you tell me? I can't tell you why I can't tell you, but it's going to be a little longer. Uh, it's probably not like that. Um, but in any case, Jesus was saying, nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. And whether he knows in heaven right now or not, um, I say he probably does. It seems to make sense that he does. But the point is that we can't make predictions about when he will return. People have tried, even in our own history, uh, before the Adventist church was formed. It came out of a group of people who believed they knew when Jesus was going to return. Yet, at the same time, Jesus did give us signs. Matthew 24 is filled with signs. And Jesus said, just like the fig tree, when the leaves start coming out, you know that summer is near. So in some sense, we can kind of know the approximate time in which we are living, but we'll never know the exact time. Maybe some of you, when you were little kids, thought you would never grow up because you thought Jesus would return before you got to college before you got married. Anyone like that here this morning? Yeah. Even me, like thinking, I didn't think we'd make it to 2018. I don't think I'm going to die. I think the Lord will come before I die. But if he doesn't, I want to be found working until I die or until he comes. And I think sometimes we get a little imbalanced with signs. There's one ditch over here that says, well, we don't know when he's going to return. We'll never know when he's going to return. And so why talk about it at all? Let's not get our hopes up. So just, you know, don't think about it at all. Let's just, let's just be over here. The other side, you know, every, everything that happens in the newspaper every single day, hey, Jesus is coming back, like next week because of this thing that I read and I got this email and I got this. And... And it's this constant state of alarm, where alarm is going off all the time, and it gets really tiring. Because when Jesus didn't come in six months, or by this year, or by this time, then we're constantly disappointing ourselves. So there's got to be some middle ground where we say, listen, it seems like signs are being fulfilled. 
But Jesus said the signs will be repeated, like labor pains from a pregnant woman. So I don't know. He may come soon. He may come in a long time. But whenever he comes, I want to be ready. I want to be found working. Amen? So number one, we learn he's coming back to pick us up. Number two, we don't know exactly when that will be. But Jesus did say, and these are Jesus' words in Revelation 22, so I can use them, because <laughs> we're trying to do this mostly from just Christ's word, but all the Bible is God's word, amen? But he did say in Revelation 22, three times, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly. So in some sense, God wants us to have an attitude of expectancy, looking for him to return, hoping and praying that he will return, but at the same time, working hard for him, but realizing if he doesn't come in my lifetime, then the moment I die, because death is, a, is this, like this sleep with no dreams, the next moment I will see him return. Talk about death next week, what Jesus had to say. Okay, so point number two, we don't know when it's going to happen, but point number three, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be totally Amazing. You ever seen a fireworks show? You ever gone like 4th of July or at Disney World or New Year's? They have cool fireworks and stuff in some of these places. You know, I love watching those things. I love the boom. I love feeling the ground shake as these shells explode in the air. And that's just a fraction of what the second coming is going to be like. Take a look at this. Matthew 24, while we're there, we'll go to verse 27. Matthew 24, verse 27. It says, For as lightning that comes from the east and is visible to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you like a good lightning storm? Anyone like thunder and lightning? You know, when I went to school in, in, the, in the eastern United States, in Tennessee, and then also in Michigan, we had a lot better lightning and thunder than we did here. I remember one of the first times I experienced a storm like that, I was sleeping in my, in my room, and I thought somebody fired a gun outside because of this crack of thunder, and then the lightning, and then the rain. It was incredible. And here, it just isn't as good out here. And we have them sometimes, but not like out east. Can anyone testify to that? Yeah. So, so Jesus compares his return to that flash of lightning. And i got to think, that's just a small glimpse of what it's going to be like when he returns. It's a very, very visible event. But it's also a very audible event. Look at verse 31. Matthew 24, verse 31. It says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heavens to the other. There's going to be sound when Jesus comes back. The trumpet blast. We were, we were traveling through Oakdale one day on our way to Yosemite, and all of a sudden, and we're like, what? And apparently, for those of you that live in Oakdale, like twice a day or something, three times a day, they just blast the horn at the, is it the, the fire station, and it lets you know what time it is. But we weren't expecting it, so we were like, Whoa, what's going on? But the blast from this trumpet in the sky will be one that not just Oakdale hears, but one that everyone hears. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be totally amazing. 
At the return of Jesus, the resurrection happens. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about death and the resurrection. It's going to be a glorious event. It says he's coming with his angels. Look at verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and what? Great glory. You know, we read some of these, some of these passages that describe the glory of the throne room in heaven, and, and it's too much for the apostles to even write down accurately. You know, they just did the very best that they could. But when Jesus comes back, he's coming with total glory and splendor. Visible, audible, glorious event. Resurrection happens. He's coming on the clouds. In Luke 21, it says he's coming in a cloud. So there's going to be clouds involved. There are going to be angels involved. It says he's coming with all of his angels. How many angels are there? Wait, how many did you say? 9,666. I bet you that there are even more than that. Yeah. You know, because the Bible talks about angels doing their work and, and they're recording angels and then there are guardian angels. And I just have to think, there are a lot of angels. Probably, probably a bigger number than we can easily count, right? There are probably billions of them. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe trillions of them. I don't know. It's going to be Amazing. Number one, he's coming back to pick us up. Number two, we don't know exactly when it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Point number four, there will only be two groups when Jesus returns. Two groups. If you're in Matthew 24, just glance over the page, Matthew 25. Jesus illustrated this in a number of ways, making sure we understood there's only two groups of people. Verses 1 and onward, he talks about the ten virgins, the ten young women, the, the ten people, five who were ready and five who weren't ready. There were the wise and the foolish, those who were ready and those who weren't ready. And then in verse 14, he tells a parable of the talents, that, that sum of money given to different people. And there were people who used the money well, used the talent well, and there was the one guy who didn't use it well. The faithful and the unfaithful. And then you continue on. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And in my Bible it says, The sheep and the what? And the goats. The sheep, those who are responsive to what Jesus wants to do in, in, in this world. And those who were rebellious and didn't do. Two groups. Only two groups. It's not just in Matthew 25. It's in other places too. Matthew 13, Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? Two groups. He said, let them both grow until the time of the end, and then the angels will take the weeds and burn them. Two groups. Matthew 13, 47 through 50, he talks about the good fish and the bad ones. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. They throw it in the water, they pull it up, and then the fishermen sort the good fish and the bad fish. Are you getting the point that Jesus is trying to make here? In the last days, there just are two groups, the lost and the saved. Now somebody says, well, what about the rapture? Because it says in Matthew 24, there will be two people in a field, one will be taken, the other will be left, two women grinding grain at the mill, 
One of them's taken, the other's left. The teaching of the raptures has been fairly popular. A lot of books written, movies made, a lot of money made on these things. And it basically says that if you miss the first coming of Jesus, the second coming, there's going to be seven years of tribulation, and then you can catch him on his third go-around to this earth. That the first time people are taken secretly, silently, invisibly, uh, it's kind of a secret return of the Lord, and then if you miss that, you can make it a little later. But you know what? We've already seen it's a very visible event. It's a glorious event. It said that all the tribes of the earth will mourn. It doesn't seem like it's an audible event. It doesn't seem like we've seen anything that suggests that type of thing. So let's take a look at that real quick, back to Matthew 24. Look at verse 41, 40 and 41. It says, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Now does it say that one will be secretly, silently, and visibly snatched up to God, and the other one will be left? No, it just says, again, there are two groups, right? Sheep and the goats, lost and the saved, those who use the talent good, those who didn't use the talent good, and there'll be people working, one of them will be saved, the other one will be lost. Two women working, one will be saved, and the other will be lost. See, the danger about this rapture teaching is that it gives us the idea that if we somehow ha don't have our life together, if we, if we haven't taken God seriously, that somehow there'll be a second chance later on. A do-over. Yeah, and the reality is we have a second chance. We have a million chances right now in this life. And it would be a shame for somebody to miss it because they thought they could mess around. And then when a whole bunch of people disappear, they can get their life together. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the day. Real quick, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Is it getting warm in here or are we good? It's not Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. Check it out. It said, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you very well know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And so they say, Aha! He's coming like a thief to snatch us up secretly. Well, just keep reading. Notice what the Bible says here. It says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, for while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, verse 4, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night nor to the darkness. In other words, if you're watching and waiting for Jesus to return, you're not going to be surprised and caught immensely off guard. We don't know the exact day of the hour, but it says you don't have to be caught unawares. Back in Matthew 24, we see a little bit more of what Jesus is talking about here. Again, there's just two groups, those who are saved and those who are lost. But right before he talks about the two people in the field, notice what he's talking about there. Look at verse 37. 
It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. So in the context of the story of Noah, he says that's how it's going to be. Now in Noah's day, how many groups of people were there? There were two. There weren't three groups of people. There wasn't a group that was snatched up to heaven and then one that was on the ark and then one that was that was killed by the flood. No, there were just people killed by the flood and people who were saved. That's how it's going to be. And notice it says that the flood came and took them all away. The ones who were taken were the ones who were taken to destruction. So what have we learned from the words of Jesus? Number one, he's coming back to take us to be where he's at. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to be awesome. And there will only be two groups on that day. So, since there will only be two groups, we come to our final question. How can I be a part of that group that's going? Do you want to go with Jesus back to that perfect place? Amen. So how can we be a part of that group? How can we go? And the answer is simple, based upon last week's sermon. Last week, what did Jesus say about salvation? Simply put, entrust your life into my hands and you're safe. Accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you have salvation. Some people want him as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. Jesus says, entrust yourself to me. Give your whole life, your whole heart to me, and you're safe. We talk about, oh, I want to be ready for Jesus to come. I hope I can be ready for Jesus to come. Well, friends, here's the good news. If you have said, Jesus, I want to entrust my life to you. I'm giving my heart to you. If you've really prayed that, then you're ready. Right? You're ready. Now, now, tomorrow you might make a different choice, and you might say, cancel what I said yesterday, Jesus. I don't want. And then walk away from him. And that's your choice. If you want to do that, you could do that. But today, if you say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to be in your kingdom. I'm entrusting my life to you. Then you're ready for Jesus to return. Now, Jesus may say some things to you as a part of your growth that he wants you to continue to do in your life. But you're secure in that relationship. You're secure. You don't have to to go on this massive trip around the world to bow down at some statue or to kiss the feet of something or, or, or go on some pilgrimage, you can be ready in your heart right now. As Erica said, he wants to wash our sins away. I love that illustration. Just whew, I've never seen that before. Someday, when he returns, he's just going to snatch us up like that. Not in a secret, silent, invisible event but one for all to see. So now the final, final question, since I already said final once. <laughs> calling myself out. <laughs> the final, final question is, what do we do in response to today's message? What do we do? Number one, 
Make sure you've made that choice to be with Jesus. Make sure you've entrusted your heart and life into his hands, accepting him as Savior and as Lord. And number two, help others to make the same choice. I'm going to give you some really practical things that we're doing in our church right now for that. We always have glow tracks in the lobby, on the walls, all around. Anita talks about them. Amen. Twice a month, she's up here talking, telling us about it, trying to keep these little things in front of us. Super simple way to help others to know. As you leave today, take some. Look at the topics. Take them. First, read them so you know what, what, what they're about. I have been guilty before giving them to somebody, and someone says, what's this about? Ugh. It's about God and stuff. <laughs> Ooh. Don't be that guy, right? Read them, and then give them to people, or leave them places. If you're afraid to give them to people, then just leave them places. Take them. Go on outreach today. We're handing out flyers for our healthy cooking school. If you're not able to go, grab some flyers and give them to some of your friends. We're wanting to teach people about health, and we're also wanting to build relationships with people. Invite them to, to, to other things that we'll be having. Sign up to help out with the health expo. Just do something. Do something. Start praying for family members who haven't made that choice, for friends who haven't made that choice. Look for simple ways to be involved. Jesus is going to come back, and I want to be with him when he takes us home to heaven. How about you? The day was May 19, 1780. A day that some of you might remember because that's the day when this mysterious darkening happened in New England. Midday, the sky just got dark. People at the time didn't know what it was, and people today still debate about what the exact cause of this darkness was. But the cows started to come home in the middle of the day. The chickens started to go to roost. The sky became dark, like night dark in the middle of the day. Well, on that day, the people in the Connecticut House of Representatives, they were, they were working. Colonel Davenport was the Speaker of the House, and when the sky started to get dark, like midnight dark, the people are looking out the windows and they're starting to get nervous and wanting to call for, you know, adjourning the meeting and going home. And knowing that this was a, a tense moment, he stood up and he said this, he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it's not. If it's not, then there's no case for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Bring in some candles. In that moment, he didn't know whether the world was about to end, but he said, if the world is about to end, I want to be found working, doing my duty. Jesus said he's coming back. He's returning, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We have that choice. It may be soon. It may be a long ways off, but whenever it is, I want to be found working, helping others to know. How about you? Let's pray. Dear God, we are so looking forward to an end to our struggle. We're looking forward to the end of death and disease and sorrow and suffering. We're looking forward 
to the day when you return to this world to take us back to heaven and we get to live in a place of perfect peace and happiness forever. Lord, we don't only want to be there, but we want others to be there too. We want our family to be there. We want our friends to be there. We want the city of Modesto to be there, our neighbors, our co-workers, people that we haven't met yet. Lord, give us courage, give us faith, and give us just your Holy Spirit as we seek to work for you day by day. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.